Greetings, and we are welcoming you to uh, 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 Corinth Baptist Church, and um, we appreciate you being here and our time together today to worship the Lord. Let me ask you a question. Uh, in, in, uh, this is uh, 2024. How many of you came here today to see somebody? Anybody? Okay. How many of you came today to worship somebody? All right, that gets more, more hands. All right. How many of you came today because you love somebody? All right. Who is that someone that you love? Jesus. Okay. Now I'm, I'm gonna, I'm. This is uh, this. Starting off good, so let me keep it up. If you love Jesus, do you love Him more than you love the pews you're sitting on? Do you love Him more than this building that you are seated in? Do you love Him more than these beautiful decorations? that we have and have enjoyed. Okay. Then do I assume correctly that you love Jesus more than anything else in the world? Okay. Because you see, if you do, that's the whole premise of us being here today. Loving the Lord. And we should love the Lord more than anything else. That was the, the blessed Shema that the children of Israel were taught from when they were infants. And on up, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. Essentially, that's New Testament. But the Shema in the Old Testament was just like that. We can love the building and appreciate the building and the uh, accoutrements to worship, but they do not come before the Lord Jesus. And that is our premise of being here today. It should be our premise of being here always whenever we come to this place. Is it a sacred and holy place? Yeah, okay, we can... We can set it apart, and that's exactly what sacred means, that it's set apart for worship of the Lord. But the holiness of it only is countable as we enter it with the worship attitude of loving the Lord Jesus above all. So... That's, a, that's just a, a, a little bit there of, of what we are approaching this morning as we come to the Lord's table. And as we approach it, and I've got more to say about it, and, and will, you can turn with me to Luke 22, but I want you to listen as you do. We have recently sent out letters to 
particularly uh, those members uh, on the role of Corinth Baptist Church, and, and I think even the membership, even you who are here, are, are getting, so it's all the members of the church uh, are getting those letters. The letters uh, basically state that we are interested in you, and we are concerned about you having your name on the roll and not attending, if you are not attending. And we are wanting you to attend. Because at one point, one time, you said you loved the Lord Jesus. And according to what I read in over 50 years of ministry, and pastoring particularly, the Bible tells us that we are to love the Lord Jesus and that there's nothing that should hinder our worship together of the Lord Jesus. So if I've got a problem with you, Matthew 18 tells me how to solve that problem with you. But it also tells others how to solve the problem with us. So what I'm saying here is we're... If you haven't heard yet, you're going to hear. You will be hearing because this type of thing generally stimulates people to talk. Unfortunately, not to the right people a lot of times. Now, I have received a call and and, uh, have set up a meeting with uh, a group, so to speak, uh, about their concerns, as they called them. But let me assure you of this. There's no greater concern that I have of any of you or any member of this church than to love the Lord Jesus above all. And if you love the Lord Jesus, there's nothing that should hinder any church any Christian, hear me clearly, any Christian from being able to come to the Lord's place and people and join them in worship. If there is, then we really have a problem. There's really a problem that goes deeper and that's going to take more time to work out. But it can be worked out. It can be worked out if we're willing to work it out. So I'm in full agreement with what you as a church have decided to do in sending these letters out. And I am in full agreement that if a person is willing to work things out, they can be worked out. But I'm also in full agreement, as I have preached before on the church covenant, that you promise that when you leave one place to go to another place to worship. And my concern for those who've been gone three and four years and more is the fact they have not found a place to worship that they're willing to put their membership there. So it tells me there's a problem there a lot deeper and surface, one that the altar, first and foremost, can handle, okay? Secondly, Jesus can handle. Thirdly, 
we as brothers and sisters in Christ can handle. Okay? As we come to this place this morning, we are coming, and with all of this in mind, we come to worship the Lord because we love the Lord. Right? Amen? In chapter 22 of the book of Luke, the Gospel of Luke, we will begin reading at verse 7. And we are going to look at verses 7 through 23. And we're going to talk about this Holy Supper. It's a Holy Supper. Not because we are here, not because we're partaking of it, not because we are who we are, but because of who He is. In honor of the Word of God, would you stand with me for the reading of the Word of God, if you're able to. So they asked him, Jesus, teacher, I'm sorry, that's the wrong chapter. We did, we did this in Sunday school this morning. I was just parroting what somebody did it. No. That's not true either. I just, I missed it. I'm looking at 21 over here instead of 20, 22. 22, verse 7. Then came the day of unleavened bread when the Passover must be killed. And he sent Peter and John, this is Jesus sending Peter and John saying, Go and prepare the Passover for us that we may eat. So they said to him, Jesus, where do you want us to prepare? And Jesus said to them, Behold, when you have entered the city, a man will meet you carrying a pitcher of water. Follow him into the house which he enters. Then you shall say to the master of the house, The teacher says to you, Where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? Then he will show you a large furnished upper room there make ready. So they went and found it just as he had said to them, and they prepared the Passover. When the hour had come, he sat down and the twelve apostles with him. Then he said to them, With fervent desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say to you, I will no longer eat of it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Then he took the cup and gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to them, saying, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Likewise, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you. But behold, the hand of my betrayer is with me on the table. And truly the Son of Man goes as it has been determined, but woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. Then they began to question among themselves, which of them it was who would do this thing? Pray with me. Mighty God, Holy Spirit of God, we desire to worship you. 
We desire our hearts and our minds to be centered and focused on you, O Lord. Cause us to be still before you. Open our hearts and our minds to you. To be receptive of your word and your message and your will for our lives as we worship our risen and living Lord Jesus, who loves us above all measure. And because he loved us first, we can love him and others. Speak to our hearts now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. And you may be seated. Just before he went to the cross, Jesus had a, an earnest yearning, a desire, as he said, a desire to have a fellowship meal with the disciples. A holy Supper. In this passage of Scripture, we have this particular account of the Lord Himself instituting His last special meal with His disciples. Now you will note that there's no one else there. His disciples, His apostles, I'll talk more about that in just a few minutes. You'll notice also that it was prepared in an upper room and, and all were gathered there in the upper room. All were gathered at that time. And the Lord Jesus Himself is the central focus. If you've ever noticed a painting of the Lord's Supper or the Last Supper, you'll note that Jesus is the central figure with disciples over here on this side of the table, disciples over here, or the apostles, the twelve as they were called, or apostles, were on each side of him as that pictures it. It's not totally correct in that picture or painting, but suffice it to say, it gives the central figure as Jesus. Whenever you and I enter these doors of a church building where the church gathers, you and I as believers are the church. As we gather together, as we come in these doors, we gather together in the name of Jesus to worship Him, to praise Him, to be taught the Word, to gather together, to be encouraged, to be strengthened together each other, by each other, and by the Word of God. So that as we go back out these doors, we have gained strength, we have gained energy, we have gained all the truths that we can from God and from each other to face the challenges that are out there. And there are some mighty, tremendous challenges out there for us to face. So, whenever you enter, whenever you come in these doors, let me, let me share with you a, a pastor's heart for over 50 years of ministry. 
to say to you, to beg of you, don't enter these doors without your heart being touched and moved and without your heart being pricked and your mind being challenged that Jesus Christ is the focus of why you're here, not the world's concerns. Let your mind be on Him. He's the one who died on the cross for you and me and paid our debt. It's only right, it's only right that as Christians, as children of God, that we do that and be that way. Because that was his focus. If you look at this passage, this holy meal, his Lord's Supper, his last supper here, points to a number of issues that he addressed. The first was the place of the meal. In verses 7 through 13, he deals with the place of the meal. Then came the day of unleavened bread when the Passover must be killed. It was the day before, just before the sundown, the, the sun going down and the, the Sabbath approaching. It was a time for that Passover meal and that sacrifice to be killed, to be offered. And he sent Peter and John, go and prepare the Passover for us that we may eat. They said, where do you want it? Jesus told them, when you enter Jerusalem, a man with a, a, a pitcher of water, follow him into the house that he goes into. And he's the master of the house. Ask him, the teacher, ask where is the guest chamber? I'm paraphrasing some of this because that's essentially what Jesus was saying to his disciples, Peter and John. It's interesting to me that it was Peter and John, the two disciples of Jesus, two apostles of Jesus, that Jesus called out or chose to go and prepare the place, to prepare for the Passover meal and prepare the place. Where is the place, where is your upper chamber that I may eat the Passover with my disciples? Then he will show you a large furnished upper room. Verse 12, there make ready. So they went and found it just as he had said, and they prepared the Passover. The place that Jesus was asking for was a special place. In Deuteronomy chapter 16 Verses 1 through 3, the Word of God says, Observe the month of Abib and keep the Passover to the Lord your God. For in the month of Abib, the Lord your God brought you out of Egypt by night. Therefore you shall sacrifice the Passover to the Lord your God from the flock, the herd, in the place where the Lord chooses to put His name. You shall eat no leavened bread with it, Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread with it, that is, the bread of affliction, 
For you came out of the land of Egypt in haste, that you may remember the day in which you came out of the land of Egypt all the days of your life. This is a meal that has a specific place that the Lord Jesus had designated. If you go back to the Old Testament, and that's where Deuteronomy comes in, the first five books of the Bible written by Moses, Moses and the children of Israel, as they were coming out of Egypt, there was a time designated, there was a place designated for the the, the Passover meal. The Passover was to remember and, and re- reflect upon where they had been, what God had brought them out of, the affliction that they were in down in Egypt, the bondage that they were in there in Egypt. So it's a reflection of the past. And the place is significant because it's a place that is centered and for the central idea and concept of reflecting, remembering, thinking. One of the things that have been done away with in many of the modern churches today, church buildings today, is the altar. And that's a sad fact of matter. It really is, because I remember, even as a child, I remember the altar being a special place in the church where people got down on their hands and knees and they broke down in tears and cried, weeping, volumes of water coming out of their eyes because they were brokenhearted over their sin. Ladies and gentlemen, let me ask you a question, Christian child of God. Let me ask you a question. When was the last time your heart was broken over your sin? To where you got down on your hands and knees, bowed your head to Almighty God in sorrow over your sins that He had to pay for. He paid for them. He paid the debt, the wrath of Almighty God, His Father, on Him. And so that place is set aside. This place is set aside for the worship of Almighty God. But not only the place of the meal of the people, eating the meal. Look at verse 11 and 14 of chapter 22. Then you shall say to the master of the house, the teacher says to you, where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And verse 14, when the hour had come, he sat down and the twelve apostles with him. At the time, when the time was right. Galatians tells us, when the fullness of time came, God sent forth His Son, born of a virgin. At the right time. We've set the time aside once a quarter to partake of the Lord's Supper. 
a meal that is special in the eyes of God and the eyes of Jesus to remember where we've come from, one, and to remember who we are, two. Who are we? Who are we? Who are you as a disciple of Jesus? Are you, are you a disciple of Jesus? What is a disciple? A disciple is one who follows someone, their teachings, and obeys those teachings. Friend, we have those teachings right here. We are fortunate. We have these teachings, the teachings of God. And and we come together and we gather in Sunday school and we teach those teachings, these teachings of God. We do it from children up. And God forbid that we should ever think that we can get too old to learn and to grow and become more like our Master. In fact, our uh, passage this morning in Matthew 10 says the disciple should be like his teacher. And all disciples should be like their teacher. But notice another thing about this. The disciple was not only a follower, but that follower was a believer. That follower was one who had trusted in Jesus Christ, who had followed Him through thick and thin, been with Him, slept with Him, ate with Him, dined with Him, was with Him when there were bad times, was with Him when there were good times. There through it all, And they stayed with him. Didn't run away. Didn't shy away. Stayed with him. Stuck with him. They were believers. All but one. All but one. Judas. And the Lord says in the last verses, but... 21, but behold, the hand of my betrayer is with me on the table. And truly, the Son of Man goes as has been determined. God determined it, but woe. Woe, that means woe, not woe, horse. But woe is a bad thing. But woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. And we know that Judas went out and hung himself. The place of the meal is special. The people eating the meal, believers. But look at the passion, verses 14 and 15. When the hour had come, Jesus sat down and the twelve apostles with him, and he said, with fervent desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. 
There is a passion here. Jesus said, with desire, I have desired. That word desire means sincerity, genuineness, a longing, a craving, in fact, to eat this meal with you, to sit down with you, to eat this meal with you, and to institute it and to share with you where you've been, where you are, and where you're going. A meal that carries with it the love and the heart of the Lord Jesus, the Savior of the world. The passion that He has for mankind. The passion that He has for a lost and dying world. The passion that he has for his children, his disciples, you and me, today. And that passion is still going on today. The place of the meal, the people eating the meal, the passion of the meal. But look, there's another place of the meal, verses 16 through 18. Another place of the meal, but it is a future meal. Jesus said, with fervent desire, I've desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say to you, verse 16, I will no longer eat of it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. For I say to you, I will no longer eat of it, it being the meal, the fruit, the bread, and the juice, until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Until the time has come and the meal is ready in the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God. There is another place coming, it's future, it's coming, and that is the kingdom of God. When everything else will be concluded and everything else will be the kingdom of God that sits on high, and God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit and the children of God will be together in the kingdom. Of God, His kingdom. He's sitting on His throne. And we are there with Him. And we are praising Him and worshiping Him throughout eternity. That is the futuristic place of the meal. Jesus said, I'll not eat of it anymore here. But one day there's a coming a day that I will in the kingdom of God. Then he took the cup and he gave thanks and he said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took the bread, gave thanks, broke it, and gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. He's got the place of the meal here. The people of the meal, believers, the passion of the meal, Jesus' love and His fervent desire, and the, the, the place of the meal in the future. But notice the partaking of the meal. As they partook of the meal, 
He took the cup, he gave thanks. This, take this and divide it among yourselves, for I say I'll not drink of it, of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took the bread, this is my body which is broken for you or given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, he took the cup after supper saying, this cup is a new covenant, my blood which is shed for you, partaking of the meal. Notice he gave thanks first. He gave thanks. As he passed the bread around, as he passed the cup around, he gave thanks before they ate the bread and drank the cup. He gave thanks. How could he give thanks? How could he be joyful in a time like this? How, how, could, how could that, you know, that just doesn't pass the mustard just on logic that he would be joyful about that situation. Because he said, before I suffer, you know, I, I want to do this before I suffer. So it means he, he was going to suffer. He knew he was going to suffer. He knew he was going to hurt. Man, if I know I'm going to hurt, I don't do what's going to cause me to hurt if I can help it. I just don't do it. I I like myself too much. I don't try to hurt myself. Now, there are things that happen because I do the wrong thing or just accidents happen, but I don't do it intentionally to hurt myself. And I try to go in the other direction if I know it's going to. But the point is, How could he give thanks? Well, Hebrews gives us that understanding when the Lord Jesus himself, in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross. Who for the joy set before him, the cross was a joy? You're telling me, Jesus Christ, knowing that he was going to suffer, this, and, and the cross wasn't, this is, that was after all of the other suffering that he was going through, the beatings, the scourging, the planting of the crown of thorns, the nails in his hands and feet, the cross, yet for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despised the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God on high. What was the joy? (laughs) You will be happy to know that I know what that joy was. And I am just delighted to share that joy with you that made him give thanks. And made him joyful. You want to know what that joy was? You and me. Who for the joy that we set before him. What joy was set before him? The joy of knowing that many, many, many were going to be saved from eternal death damnation and separation from Almighty God, their Creator, forever.
That brought him joy. And so as he went through the sufferings, the scourging, the, all of the, the mocking, the shame, and the nails and hands and feet and cross on his head, crown of thorns on his head, all of that brought joy because he saw down through the ages those who were going to be saved because of his sacrifice of his life. You and me. Oh, man. How can we not enter this place? How can we come in here? How dare we come in here with pride and arrogance and approach this altar without a brokenness for what He, Jesus, did for you and me? God help us. And then the permission of the sacrifice. Verses 19 and 20, And he took the bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to them, saying, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant, my blood which is shed for you. The permission, that willing sacrifice, my body, my blood. The promise of a new body. The promise of blood that washes away our sin. The promise, the permission of the sacrifice. It's a willing sacrifice. He did not fight giving himself up. He said, Father, not my will but yours be done. Most of us want our will done. Most of us think our opinion is the best opinion, no matter what that opinion is. But his will was to do the Father's will. And so the permission given for the willing sacrifice, and that sacrifice says in this bread its representation of his willingness to shed his blood and his willingness to offer his body for our sins. The prerequisite, there is a prerequisite for this meal. You can turn over with me to Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 11. Twenty seven through thirty four. Therefore, prerequisite is before the meal, so therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. 
For this reason, many are weak and sick among you, and many sleep. Many are weak and sick among us. What is, this is the Apostle Paul talking to the Corinthian believers. Corinthian <laughs> believers. Corinthian believers. For this week, many are weak and sick. And many sleep. Many have already died. For if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord, that we may not be condemned with the world. Therefore, my brethren, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. But if anyone is hungry, let him eat at home, lest you come together for judgment, and the rest I will set in order when I come. But let a man examine himself. What are we to examine? Ourselves. I'm to examine myself, you're to examine yourself. We examine ourselves. What is he saying, examine? The prerequisite of the meal is the examination of ourselves. Stop and look at yourself. Stop and ask yourself the honest question. Is there anything between me and the Lord that hinders me from partaking of this meal? You say, well, Pastor Don, you're really making a whole lot out of this this juice and bread here that's little or nothing. Little or nothing? I'm not like the Catholics. I don't consider it uh, that it becomes the actual body or the actual blood of Jesus, but I am from the symbolic aspect. It represents the blood of Jesus. It represents the body of Jesus that was broken for me, that was shed for me. And my sins. And I cannot, I cannot just treat it as something that's just minor or insignificant. It took His body and blood to pay for my sins that I should be guilty of. But bless His heart, thank you Jesus, He's forgiven me for. The prerequisite is, is there anything that stands between me and the Lord Jesus? Is there anything, is there any sin, is there something that I have not confessed that I'm guilty of? Is there, is there something that I have against a brother or a sister that, that I've not confessed, that I've gotten rid of? Is there something there that stands in the way? of me being right with the Lord Jesus to partake of this meal. That's the prerequisite. As well as to make sure that I'm a believer in the first place. That I've trusted the Lord Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. That I've named Him as my Lord and Savior. That I've Repented of my sins, I've turned to Jesus, I've asked Him, come into my heart and life and forgive me of my sins and save me from the guilt of my sin and help me to live the rest of my days for you, Lord Jesus. And after examination, after examination, then let Him eat. 
Then let him drink. Then let him partake of the meal. So right now, we're going to pause. And I'm going to give you time to examine yourself. Us to examine ourselves. Are you right with the Lord? What would he say if you were standing before him right now? What would he say to you? Don, you have this in your life that you need to repent of. Don, you have this in your life that you need to ask forgiveness of. You need to confess it. You need to get rid of it. What would he say to you right now? Heads bowed and eyes closed. No one looking around. What would Jesus say if you're looking at him right now, face to face? Have you gossiped about somebody this week? Have you talked bad about somebody this week? Have you done something that you ought not to have done? Said something you ought not to have said? Things left undone that you should have done? Things you did that you shouldn't have done? Are you a believer? Do you know Jesus Christ in a personal relationship? Heads bowed and eyes closed, no one looking around. I want to give you an opportunity right now to respond. We don't need music to respond to the Lord. I'm asking you to come as you are. If you just need to kneel at the altar and pray, then come. Whatever you need to do, To make it right. Let's get it right. Let's get it right. Right now.
Lord God. In the quietness of this moment. Search every heart. As you know every heart. I pray, O Lord God, that we're honest with you. And Lord, that you would minister to us the way you need to minister to us to make us right. For your glory and our good. In Jesus' name, amen.